Chapter 11 of A Mayfair Magician, A Romance of Criminal Science. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Campbell Shelp. A Mayfair Magician, A Romance of Criminal Science by George Griffith. Chapter 11. To be perfectly plain with you, Mr. Enstone, replied the lawyer, after a little pause, and with visible embarrassment. I want to make a bargain with you and a confession to you, but I may say at once that the one is contingent on the other. Then suppose we take the bargain first, Mr. Denyer, said Harold coldly, and with a thrill of hope running over his nerves, and let me say before you begin that if you are in a position— as I somehow have an idea you are, to throw light upon the mystery of Sir Godfrey's death, and you can satisfy me that you had no active hand in it, I will pay anything in reason for proofs that will stand legal tests, and hold my tongue about the confession as you call it. What is the figure? Permit me to first explain my position, Mr. Enstone, he replied, passing his handkerchief over his forehead. You will not fully understand the circumstances unless I do. Harold nodded, and he went on. It is a painful thing for a man to have to say of himself, but the truth is that, like a good many other men who have had a hard and unequal fight with adverse fortune, I have been, as I may put it, driven off the lines. In other words, it is the old story, Mr. Enstone, the old, old story unhappy speculations losses debts and then worse that is how i came into jenner halkine's power and that too is why in obedience to some whim of his crooked intellect for the man is as mad as a hatter where what he calls the interests of science are concerned he forced me to give him my passive only passive mark you assistance in the extraordinary the almost incomprehensible crime by which he compassed your late father's death ah uh, then he did it did he said harold between his teeth forgetting his disgust at the man in his eagerness to learn what he had to say prove that and name your price i can he replied wiping his brow again and if you accept my proposal i will do so within a week halkine's original price for my er countenance which was very necessary to him after the fact, was five thousand as soon as he came into his trusteeship, and a salary of a thousand a year for life as legal adviser to the trust, as well as the return of certain documents even more important to me than the money. Now, as you must know, he has drawn the preposterous sum of a million sterling out of the estate. What does that mean? The development of science? not a bit of it mr enstone to my mind it means bolt disappearance of himself and that uncanny friend of his with your father's million that's what it means and i presume that it also means interrupted harold with a note of contempt in his voice that you have come to me because he has refused to give you what you consider to be an adequate share of the said million in a sense yes replied the other awkwardly i firmly believe that he intends to vanish and leave me in the lurch perhaps after having sent the documents i spoke of to the home office 
so as to secure my retirement for some years from active life, for I am now satisfied, Mr. Enstone, that that man has absolutely no human feelings where the interests of science are concerned. I asked for a twentieth part of his plunder, for it was nothing else, and the return of the documents. He laughed at me and said he could not think of robbing his mistress science to such an extent for the sake of a lawyer who had been fool enough to get himself into trouble. Of course I did not show my hand. He little knows that the tables are turned now, and that he is in my power. Then from that I presume I may gather, replied Enstone, looking keenly at him, that your power over him consists in your ability to prove him guilty of, well, we will say, of managing the circumstances which led to my father's suicide. Of course, if you can do that, and at the same time satisfy me that you had no active part in it, it is merely a question of terms between us. Now, to begin with, what can you do? I can prove, replied the lawyer after a little pause, first that Halkine began to get Sir Godfrey under the influence of drugs at a little supper that we had at the Dower House the evening after Miss Grace Romance had gone to London. Ah, yes, Harold interrupted, with some show of eagerness. Yes, I have heard about that supper. In fact, I was so much interested that I told Mr. Barthgate that I would give a thousand pounds to know what my father had at it. I will tell you, said the lawyer quietly, and to show you that I am not trifling with you, I will do that much for nothing. The supper itself was harmless, for we all three had it. But afterwards, Sir Godfrey had a small decanter of rare old wine and a box of cigars specially reserved for him. I need scarcely add that both wine and cigars were drugged. Their effect on Sir Godfrey was perfectly marvellous. His personality was totally changed, and very much for the worse. But how can this be proved, Mr. Denyer? Harold interrupted with impatience. I mean proof that would satisfy a judge and jury. I took the precaution of securing a sample of the wine and a couple of the cigars. I thought they might come in useful some day. If we conclude an arrangement, they will be at your service for analysis. Further, I may tell you that Halkine went back to the manor with Sir Godfrey that night, and the next morning at breakfast showed me Sir Godfrey's instructions for his will, written and signed by his own hand. It was certainly not a forgery. How Halkine obtained it I haven't the remotest notion, though it is certain that he possesses some hypnotic sort of power far beyond the average. After that, during your absence, he kept Sir Godfrey continuously under the influence of drugs. I was careful to secure samples of the so-called medicines that he was giving him to counteract the bad dreams and fits of nervous depression that he was suffering from. Finally, when Sir Godfrey got so bad that both his own doctor and Sir Neville Alderson were called in, he continued what he called his treatment by substituting medicines for what they prescribed. That is the explanation of the mystery which so puzzled the other two men. They thought that Sir Godfrey was a confirmed victim of the drug habit and had drugs hidden away which he could take without their knowing it. They trusted to Halkine, who was in constant attendance to stop it, while all the while he was giving him drugs of his own compounding. I had samples of those medicines also. "'Good God!' exclaimed Harold, 
with an expression of mingled horror and disgust. "'What an abominable crime! A thousand times worse than ordinary murder! And you, you who pose before the world as a respectable man, you a husband and a father, knew that this unspeakable villainy was going on under your eyes, and never spoke a word or moved a finger to stop it, to save the life of a man who had never harmed you, whose bread you had eaten.' "'Well, I suppose there is no use in telling you just what I think of you. "'What is your price for these samples, as you call them, and your evidence for? "'Of course, we must have that.' "'Mr. Denyer's plump and usually rosy countenance changed to a sallow pallor at the word evidence. "'It would be most dangerous for me to give evidence,' he said rather faintly. "'You see the moment that he saw my hand in this.' Halkine would at once send the documents I spoke of to the Home Office, and that would mean, candidly speaking, a prosecution for me which, I am afraid, might result in penal servitude. That, Mr. Denyer, replied Harold coldly, is absolutely no concern of mine, and frankly I cannot pretend to sympathize with you. In fact, as a lawyer, you must know that if I do purchase your assistance, I shall myself be compounding a felony. At the same time, such offences as I presume you are hinting at are treated with such absurd leniency nowadays that at the very utmost you would not get more than five years, which your good behaviour would, no doubt, bring down to three and a half. Of that, however, you must make up your mind to take your chance. For my part, I absolutely refuse to move another step in the matter unless you are prepared to write out what they call, I believe, a proof of your evidence, and verify it by the usual affidavit. If you do that, I will give you ten thousand down on the day that Halkine is sentenced. If you can get safely out of the country with that before the law lays hold of you, well and good. If you are caught and sent to penal servitude, I will undertake to pay your wife, or anyone you may appoint, a thousand a year for the term of your imprisonment. How will that suit you? "'It is a generous offer, Mr. Enstone,' replied the lawyer. "'But at the same time the risk on my part is very great. "'Could you not make it twenty thousand down on Halkine's conviction, "'and let me take my chance?' "'No, sir,' replied Harold stiffly. "'I never make two bargains. "'Those are my terms. "'You will take them or leave them according to your own judgment. "'And now,' he went on, rising, I must be getting back. I shall expect your answer at Brown's Hotel by eight o'clock tonight. No, no, Mr. Enstone, exclaimed the lawyer, also getting up. There is no need for that. You can have it now. I accept, provided, of course, that you give me through your solicitors a proper indemnity in consideration of the assistance I am to give you in bringing the real criminal to justice. When I have that, I will hand over the wine and cigars and medicines, and the proof of my evidence properly sworn to. Very well, said Enstone, without turning round. I will see Lawson and Lawson this afternoon. A cool hand to that Mr. Enstone, muttered Mr. Denyer to himself, as he sat down again to have another cigar and finish the decanter of port. He's as hard as iron, too. I'm rather sorry for myself but I'll hang Halkine if I can. It isn't safe that a man like that should be allowed to run loose. 
I wonder if he'd have paid up if he'd known. Not he. He and that uncanny friend of his would have mesmerized me or something between them, and then put me quietly out of the way. No, I think I've done wisely, even if I have to retire from the world for a few years. At any rate, I shall start again with ten or twelve thousand and a clean slate. When he left the club, he saw a tall spare Hindu, clad in the usual tight-fitting white linen trousers and tightly-buttoned frock-coat, walk slowly past the entrance. The white-turbaned head turned and a pair of coal-black eyes shot one swift glance at him. Mr. Denyer saw the man, but did not notice the glance. There were plenty of Orientals in London just then, and he was so preoccupied with his own thoughts that he took no notice of this particular one. He would have had something else to think about if he had known that he had shadowed him from the moment he left his chambers, that he had watched the meeting outside Jay's, and had followed him and Enstone in a hansom to the club. He would have thought still less of his bargain if he could have listened to the brief conversation which took place about half an hour afterwards in Helkine's flat in Bedford Mansions when Ram Dass, disciple and devoted henchman of Dr. Isaac Ramal, had made his report. "'You have done well, Ram Dass,' said the doctor. "'And he who deserves well shall receive much. Now go, and to-morrow at midnight—' Bring me here what more you can learn of the movements of these two sahibs, but disguise yourself well, for neither must think he has seen you before. The wisest of the wise and the protector of the poor shall be obeyed. He is my father and my mother, and his will is the law of his slave, replied the Hindu with a low salaam. That means treachery, Halkine, the doctor continued, as Ram Dass vanished noiselessly. That unbelieving dog, who has eaten your bread and salt, will betray you to what these pig-eating kaffirs call their justice. I don't see how he can, said Halkine, a little uneasily. I can have him arrested for felony in a week, and I shall do so. He can give nothing but his evidence, his oath against mine, and there's not very much doubt which would be believed. Beside, there is absolutely no proof. All the medical evidence will go to show that Sir Godfrey gave way to the drug habit, and that he committed suicide under the influence of narcotism. That was the verdict at the inquest, and there is not an atom of proof in existence to upset it. "'Do not be too sure, my friend,' replied the other gently. "'Remember that the hand of treason is stealthy, and that its eyes see in dark places. I think it would have been better to have paid this man,' at least with promises, until Ram Dass could have settled his account for him. That would be better than making an exposure and a scandal in the law courts. Yes, Isa, now that this has happened, I think you are right, and if the scoundrel really does mean to betray me, he has the means of doing so. Well, it is not too late yet for Ram Dass to arrange for a mysterious disappearance. Certainly it will never do to allow a worthless life like that to stand in the way of such splendid schemes as ours. End of chapter 11